Welcome to the Venley Expert Talks, where we aim to inspire Web3 builders with great stories from great minds. I'm your host, Alexandra Ahrens, and I'd like to remind you that you can always reach out to us on Twitter, Discord, or LinkedIn with ideas for the podcast and questions for our guests. Welcome to episode 17 of the Venley Expert Talks. Today, I'm joined by John Nahas, Vice President of Business Development at Avalabs, and we'll be talking about NFTs as an avenue for blockchain adoption. So welcome. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, just to start off, I'd like to know about your background in life and in crypto. Sure. I'll give you kind of the uh, the journey that led me down this rabbit hole um, that we're all in. And unless, you know, I always like to tell people, unless you're like 22, 3, 4 years old, uh, most people in this industry have come from another industry, right? Whether it be engineering, finance, marketing, um, computer science. It, what's beautiful about this is that it's really interdisciplinary and it's brought together a lot of uh, professions, a lot of expertise across a number of things into into this new and growing space, which is super exciting because I feel like we all get to learn from each other and, and grow as an industry. Um, my journey started off in a completely different uh, path. I, um, I studied political science and communication in college as an undergrad, was really a big policy wonk. Uh, came out of school, did corporate finance advisory for about a year and a half, helping start up middle market clients, uh, and then decided to go back to school and got a master's in diplomacy actually in public diplomacy. Um, so I was very involved in the international policy circles for a while. I uh, did stints, uh, junior fellowship at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Um, I was stationed in Beirut. That's where my fellowship was for a while in 2009. Um, after that, uh, focused on some work with the World Economic Forum uh, based on sovereign wealth funds, focusing on that vertical, kind of their geopolitical impact, their investment uh, thesis, and, and kind of what those uh, sovereign wealth funds are, are doing with their investments. Um, after that, did some stints with the House and Senate Foreign Relations Committees in the U.S. and State Department on their quadrennial review in 2009-2010. Um, and then finished up grad school and joined a startup called, at the time, Policy Mike. Uh, it later rebranded to Mike, MIC.com, where I was uh, managing editor, director of partnerships and outreach and oversaw a team of about five editors, 180 writers uh, through the alpha launch, the beta launch up until the public launch, at which point uh, it peaked, I think, about 33 million unique viewers uh, and visitors a month, which was really exciting. Left that and then actually got into the world of international trade, trade finance, primarily OTC commodities. So probably the oldest business in the world. Um, Pretty opaque, right? Lots of deals. Lots of contracts, lots of negotiations, spent a lot of time in Geneva, Dubai, and Moscow. Um, During that time, I got bit by the blockchain bug, maybe late 2016, early 2017, and noticed myself starting to spend every minute I had reading about blockchain and crypto and Bitcoin and um, leading up to kind of the ICO boom of early 2018. Um, like anybody in this space, I was at a, at an event talking about crypto and Bitcoin and a friend of mine mentioned to me that he was joining a new firm, um, and that I should look into it. So I went from the most opaque thing in international trade to a blockchain based fintech platform called token vault. Uh, we had built, so I was a uh, vice president of corporate and business development there. We built a mobile application for digital asset spending, investing and trading. 
Most notably, we uh, built the blockchain money market token for Franklin Tubbolton and got acquired by Franklin at the end of 2019. Um, left in early 2020, started looking around. COVID happened, of course, uh, took a couple months, spent some time with my family. I have two little kids, uh, which didn't see much of me while building uh, a startup. So sure. took some time and then jumped back in summer of 2020, started looking for new options, had a bunch of great ones. And got introduced to the team at Ava Labs. Um, loved what they were building. Fell down the rabbit hole of reading everything I could about Avalon. <laughs> um, was sold, and it was just a matter of how soon I could start. So I started uh, early September 2020, about two weeks before mainnet launch uh, of Avalanche. So I've uh, been on the business development team here ever since. I co-lead it. Um, started off as three people, and now we're about 16, looking to get to about mm, 20. Very exciting. Cool. Very, very cool. That's quite a path you've taken. Um, great. So for anyone that is maybe not familiar or not aware, can you take us through an outline of the structure and the function of Avalabs and Avalanche and how everything's connected in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is kind of the standard pitch, right? Um, yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm giving a, a comprehensive overview. So Avalabs is the firm behind Avalanche, uh, created it, spun it out. Avalanche now is a an open source public blockchain, um, 1,200 plus validators, um, decentralized, completely running on its own. Avalabs, as the firm, is a licensed service provider uh, to Avalanche. So our focus is twofold. One is First and foremost, the growth of the Avalanche ecosystem. So that's across multiple verticals, first being wallets. So exchanges, custodians, uh, mobile wallets, you know. second being uh, assets. So stable coins, NFTs, security tokens, and any other assets that could be deployed on, on, on the platform. And third is applications. So of course, any kind of dApps, DeFi, anything along those lines. Uh, conversely, Avalabs works with enterprises and institutions to build products uh, on Avalanche. So most notably recently, we've partnered with Deloitte to build a U.S. government program called Close As You Go, uh, which is uh, administered by FEMA. And we're working with Deloitte to build a lot of other cool products on Avalanche. Uh, second, we partnered with MasterCard through their StartPath program to work on ways to kind of build out payment solutions on Avalanche. And we're working with a lot of other customers and clients and partners that want to build blockchain solutions on Avalanche. Uh, and then the team also, the product team, built products to support the Avalanche ecosystem, such as the Avalanche Bridge and, and many more forthcoming products to support the ecosystem. So switching over to Avalanche, Avalanche, of course, uh, for those that don't know, is a new layer one uh, blockchain launched in about mid-September 2020, spun out at Cornell University, where our founder, Emin Gunsreer, is a notable computer science and distributed systems professor. Uh, he created Karma, the first peer-to-peer eCash system in 2002, so six years before Bitcoin, um, and has been a lecturer, advisor, consultant to crypto projects, blockchain, central banks, uh, governments, enterprise, and everything in between. The breakthrough that happened... Uh, at Cornell with his PhD students, so Ted Yin, our chief protocol architect, who was a co-author of Hot Stuff. That's what Facebook was using uh, for their consensus for Libra. And Kevin Sekniki, who was at JPL uh, as our COO, was the Avalanche consensus. So what we're most proud of, of course, is the Avalanche consensus, which in the history of consensus is only the third ever novel consensus protocol. You have classical consensus since the 70s. 
That's what incumbents use for distributed systems such as Visa and MasterCard, et cetera, but also some blockchains use as well. Um, you know, Classical consensus is great. It's fast, it's cheap, it's scalable. Nakamoto consensus came around with the Bitcoin white paper, of course, decentralized, trustless, but as we've seen, can't scale, expensive, uh, not fast, and not eco-friendly. Avalanche has a new third consensus, aims to solve these issues by being truly decentralized with over 1,200 validators, a little over a year and a quarter since mainnet launch. Uh, we're fast. We boast 4,500 transactions per second on a single chain. We have a multi-chain architecture. We can get into that. Um, but what we're also proud of is that we have sub-second finality. So from the time a transaction hits the chain, it's finalized in two-tenths of a second. I believe it's we're the fastest in the space there. And then finally, we are eco-friendly. So we've commissioned a report by the Cryptocarbons Ratings Institute. That's the guys from MIT in the U.S. and Technical Institute of Munich. The guys who wrote the seminal Bitcoin carbon footprint paper. They did a climate-controlled study of the top six proof-of-stake chains. And Avalanche came out uh, with flying colors. We're very proud of how sustainable we are. For some context, Bitcoin uses over 6 million U.S. households worth of carbon. Ethereum uses about 12 to 1,400, 1.2 to 1.4 million U.S. households. Uh, in the proof-of-stake universe, of course, we're much lower. But among our competitors in the proof-of-stake world, we, we clock in at a combined total of 46 U.S. households of carbon. That is for the entirety of the Avalanche blockchain, 1,200 plus validators, millions of transactions a day, uh, billions of dollars transacted. The metric that matters the most is because we do have significant uh, traffic and transactions is Avalanche secures more dollars per unit of energy than any other blockchain out there. So we're really proud of that. So this platform kind of runs our chain, which is a multi-chain uh, architecture. First is our um, X chain. That's where the Avox token uh, lies, that you're able to create, mint, and burn assets there. But there's limited smart contract functionality. That's a DAG. It's optimized for speed and throughput. So pay think payments and supply chain and logistics. Second is our P chain. That's our platform chain. That's where validation and delegation occurs. So a lot of the administration of the chain happens on a separate um, single chain. Secondly, the benefit of being a, a, a node or a validator on Avalanche allows for something that we're very excited about and just announced in our multiverse uh, campaign is the creation of subnets. So subnets are the ability to create permissioned private chains or permissionless and public chains on the primary chain through being a validator. So think of this uh, in the future for app-specific chains, such as DeFi Kingdoms that's coming or Kerbata, another game that we have coming, um, enterprises, financial institutions, people that want to have a closed chain, but at the same time running on a public utility in a public chain. That's what our subnets are going to be. And we believe that's the next stage of growth for us and to prove how we can scale horizontally. Finally, we have our C chain. That's our contracts chain. That is an instance of the Ethereum virtual machine. We are, you know, we selected that as our as our default since we believe the EVM is the default and standard for smart contracts in the blockchain world. Um, so anything that's on the C chain is built with solidity, just like Ethereum. And we've seen notable blue chip Ethereum projects such as Aave, Curve, Sushi, and many more poured over. Um, and native Ethereum teams, of course, developing new products on Avalanche that they couldn't do on other chains because we're faster and cheaper. Um, so we've seen a, a significant growth on the DeFi side. Um, we're second in TVL, of course, the Ethereum now, uh, boosted by our Rush program, which was announced in August. And we're seeing a ton of uh, native and, and original projects launching, as well as 
um, other teams moving over and building on Avalanche, which is super exciting. So that's Avalanche in a nutshell uh, and kind <laughs> of all vertical. So we're doing a little bit of everything. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, uh, we believe that the future is multi-chain. No single chain will be ever be able to ever handle all of the possible use cases that exist out there. Um, some have niches, some are DeFi crypto focused, others are enterprise focused. We believe by having a foot in both worlds, we're able to bridge the divide and really bring TradFi and incumbents into the new kind of innovation that's happening in Web3. So, yep. Great. Very in-depth kind of nutshell. <laughs> I like it. It's good. Um, great. So in kind of reference to that, um, it has been said that Ava's approach to node communication will help it to scale better than Ethereum's 2.0. Do you agree with that? If so, why or why not? You know, I don't like to compare Avalanche to others. Like some might say okay. this is better, that is better. Uh, I believe that our architecture allows us to scale, whereas mm-hmm. others don't have the same ability to scale. Doesn't mean they won't. And we hope they do because we believe if everybody succeeds, we all succeed more. This is not a zero-sum game, right? Uh, I often like to say that, I, I, you know, there's tribalism or, or maximalism in crypto because we're still so early where people in different camps are trying to say, I'm better, no, I'm better, um, where we're kind of fighting over crumbs, to be honest, when there's a much larger pie that all of us can be fully, uh, you know, content with and, and and have more opportunities than any of us can, can handle. Um, so I hope... ETH2 scales. I hope it arrives. I hope it succeeds. I think we all do. Um, they set the bat, they set the bar for all of us, and, and we, we hope that they do it as well. I do think we have a different way to scale, and I think it could be better, it should be better, and it will be better. Um, but you know, it doesn't mean that we're not complementary to each other and, and, and can work together and support each other in each other's ecosystems. Very uh, diplomatically said. <laughs> Good. Then touching back again on the energy consumption, because that is honestly insane differences that you've got that you've mentioned there. Um, do you think that the lower energy consumption will be enough for naysayers to get on board with blockchain? Yes and no. Yes, because there's people that just don't know. And it, it, it's incumbent on us and everyone in this industry to prove that blockchains can be sustainable. You know, credit to our proof of stake kind of uh, friends on other chains that are, that have illustrated this as well. Uh, it's a big push. I know for other chains, it's just Solana and Algorand, and good for them, and we applaud them. Um, of course, we believe we're we're more green as the experts uh, illustrated. But at the end of the day, we're in a completely different universe um, in terms of consumption. Uh, so, relatively speaking, we're all pretty much close. We are in the same universe. Uh, with each other rather than than the rest. And um, so, yes, I believe we can change opinions. It's going to take all of us to work in unison and to be uh, proactive in educating the public and educating experts about the differences in uh, consumption and the differences in sustainability of different chains or different models. Um, but at the same time, there will always be naysayers, right? There will always be people who, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what you show, will continue to be biased because they either have their own incumbent bias, they have their own um, predisposed beliefs, they just don't want to learn, they don't want to care, or it affects their personal bottom line. 
right? And and blockchains as a whole are disruptive to their business model, and it's easier to point a finger and, and say no than to adapt, um, which we see all the time. Um, so yeah, I think we can. It's it's incumbent on us to do that work to to educate. But for the people that you can't convert or you can't kind of convince, um, you know, we'll keep our head up high and, and, and keep doing what we're doing. Sure, sure. Good. Um, I want to mention really quickly the Avalanche Summit that's coming up. I think you said you are attending, so that's very cool. Um, this podcast will launch like right in the middle of it. So um, just in a couple sentences, what can attendees expect? Well, this is our inaugural summit. It's the first time since Avalanche has launched um, that we've been able to, you know, we launched in the height of the, of the, of the pandemic, of course, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. for a lot of people, um, especially even on the team, it's a first opportunity for a lot of us to all be together, uh, which hasn't happened. We've been together kind of separately here and there. Um, so I think first and foremost for attendees, they get to meet the Ava Labs team, uh, meet people that they've previously seen on uh, on interviews or heard in podcasts such as this or follow on Twitter, um, to see them, to talk to us, to, to, to collaborate with us, to work with us. I think it's an opportunity to meet some of the best teams that exist in the ecosystem, that are building on the ecosystem, um, and to hear about the projects that are that are here that are thriving and for new projects that will be coming and new uh, exciting initiatives that we have going on and new and new partnerships and for the community as a whole to kind of get together and gather and and celebrate what we've accomplished thus far and kind of look to the future for what's to come. Very positive. So for anybody listening, if you're not in Barcelona, we miss you. Um, (laughs) Hop on a flight and come join us. We're here until the end of the week. (laughs) Great. <laughs> Great. Perfect. So um, I'd love to hear about some of your favorite projects being built on Avalanche right now. How long do we have? <laughs> okay, narrow it down. <laughs> I mean, I you know, across the board, I think it's it's amazing. What's happening in the DeFi ecosystem is, is, is tremendous. We get approached by new teams all the time. Uh, especially old teams too that have built stuff that said we've always had this this project that we've envisioned building, um, but we weren't able to on other chains for because of speed or time or cost or whatever. Um, but we can do it on Avalanche, so um, that's super exciting to us. You know, there there's cornerstone kind of native projects that I that that are near and dear to my heart, such as Banky, uh, liquid staking and money market, uh, Trader Joe, our, our kind of our flagship decks. Um, those teams are super professional. They build great stuff and they continue to kind of build and grow. So that's amazing. I know there's great new projects such as Platypus and Yeti and Arrow and Struct and a lot of other stuff in the DeFi space. Uh, on the NFT side, super excited for the work that the Particle team did. So they bought a Banksy. They sliced it into 10,000 pieces and uh, sold off NFT. So it's kind of a membership in a digital first museum uh, that's going to retain and preserve uh, physical art uh, and fine art. So we did the first one was a Banksy and looking forward to what their next painting is going to be and what they're going to continue to do and innovate on the fine art side. Um, and, you know, Kalau's our native uh, NFT marketplace. We're looking forward to many more. The Trader Joe team is going to be launching an NFT marketplace called Joe Pegs, which true to form, these guys are great with names. Um, so excited to see that product because everything they build in 
and ship is exciting. Um, we got a ton of stuff coming on the enterprise side too that I think will show people how blockchains can really solve real world use cases, not just mm-hmm. uh, you know be speculative or, 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 or tradable items, but actually make people's lives better, uh, easier, save money, be faster, be cheaper. Um, so across the board, there's too much to list, but I think the, the, the growth in DeFi, NFTs, enterprise, and especially in gaming. So, I mean, we have Ascenders and Shrapnel and uh, forthcoming. Uh, Krabata is, is, is a huge game on us now that's doing amazing things. There's Chicken Farm. There's just a ton of stuff, right? Like if I, I know I'm going to offend people for not mentioning them and, and I'm going to get thank yous from people who I do. But uh, <laughs> to be frank, I, I'm just extremely proud and humbled by the growth of this ecosystem and this community and what they continually build. Um, so there's a lot there now and a ton more to come. So, yeah, yeah you can blame it on me. There wasn't enough time to get through everybody. So <laughs> great. Wonderful. That's all. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, Good. So when we're talking about using NFTs to bring new people into the space, um, which obviously you mentioned some great ways that that might be happening. Do you think gas fees and transaction weights and kind of those more negative aspects will affect how everything is adopted and viewed? They are. Um, they already are, right? Um, right, yeah. You know, there's a great community on, on Ethereum. There's a lot of people that have uh, significant wealth that are able to pay those fees, but for, for other people, they're not. Um, and you're, you're seeing this with kind of public backlash against some uh, enterprises that are doing, or Fortune 500s or whoever, or lifestyle brands or celebrities that are doing NFTs because they're being told that it's unsustainable. Um, it, 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 it's against their ethos. We hear it from artists, Right. So who say we want to do NFTs, we want to do uh, native digital art, but it's against our personal beliefs to be, you know, contributing to global warming and, 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 and increased emissions. So they're looking for that. Enterprises are looking at that, whether you're Coca-Cola or Ford Motor Company or or hotel brand or whatever you you might do. You know, you signed up for ESG goals and you have certain initiatives that you're doing in order to, to do that. Uh, and to meet those initiatives. So it wouldn't make sense to to be deploying assets uh, that are unsustainable. So we are seeing that, we're hearing that all the time. So whether it's cost, whether it's speed or sustainability, these are the things that I think are top of mind for the next generation that's really going to usher in that retail use case, right? Right now, a lot of the, the, the traction on NFTs is, of course, crypto native, profile pictures, generative art, all that cool stuff. But if we really want to onboard the next billion users into the Web3 economy, it's going to have to be retail, right? It's going to have to be the mass market. And the mass market needs two things. Uh, a conduit, so brands that they trust and, and believe in that issue these assets. Uh, and secondly, an easy way to do so, right? Like an easy on-ramp. It's hard for a typical person to buy crypto, send it to a web wallet or a mobile wallet, go mint an NFT, et cetera, et cetera, right? So abstracting away the web three complexities, making it easier to kind of get into this economy makes it easier. Right. I, I often say that we're, we're pretty elitist in this group. And I know everyone in, in this ecosystem loves, you know, financial inclusion and bringing as many people into this web three economy, but we're also so protective of our seed phrases and our, you know, our web three way of, of doing things and transactions and explorers and whatever it may be that we've grown accustomed to. 
Um, that is a high learning curve to get anybody to do anything new, right? Uh, people ask me sometimes, oh, how would you explain blockchain to your grandma? I won't because she'll never <laughs> What I'll ask her is, does she know how Venmo or PayPal or Zelle or any of these other things work? And she'll say no. All she knows is she pushes a button and something happens. Where it happens, how it happens, what it ha- how, like, what it costs is what matters, right? Like, So if we're not making things as easy at a bare minimum, if not easier, and as fast, if not faster, and as cheap, if not cheaper, than the current incumbent systems, we have a very steep hill to climb right so um i so cost is one thing of course speed is another sustainability is another but i think the biggest barrier of entry is just accessibility and ease of use so all these things do come together some people care about some more than the others other people care about other things but cumulatively that's upon us as an industry and, and i know something you guys at Bentley are working hard at and doing a great job is to make it accessible for people, right? To make it easier to, to enter into this economy. And then once people get in, I think they're hooked, right? I think all of mm-hmm. us are in this space because once we got in, we got hooked. So the easier we make it for people to get in, the faster, the cheaper, et cetera, et cetera, um, the more people we get and the more companies we get, the more artists we get, the more creatives we get, uh, and, and the circle continues to grow. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a really great way to break that down into just a couple parts. Um, on that vein, is there kind of a timeline you envision for getting there or a path that you can see? I think you're already starting to see it, right? So I think you're seeing corporates jump in, uh, major lifestyle or fashion brands jump in. Um, I think you're seeing the infrastructure being built currently. So I think by the end of this year, we'll be in a much different place than we were in the beginning of this year, which is further along than we were a a while back. Uh, You know, what's truly shocking and impressive for me is the speed in which this this ecosystem grows and builds and ships and innovates. Uh, This doesn't happen anywhere else, you know, period and uh, full stop, like, if, a, if an enterprise, a major incumbent was to buy a startup, they wouldn't know where to start with it. They wouldn't know how to move this fast. They're, they're bureaucratic. They're slow. Um, mm-hmm. And we're all we're practically on the road to leaving them all behind. So it's a, they have to innovate or they're or we're going to kind of eat them all up. Right. So uh, I, next few months, I think you'll start to see more mass market appeal. I think by the end of the year, it'll be second nature to people to own and buy NFTs. Uh, and, and the use cases, I think, are only continuing to grow more so than just the generative art, the profile pictures and all this other stuff. Definitely. Good. Um, so kind of specifically what people can do to get involved, how can creators and developers bring mainstream users into the space? Obviously, brands, great, as you said, but m- more small scale, I guess. How can the individual help out? I think, you know, on the individual level, what we've been able to do, it, it, I think first step is getting involved in this ecosystem, right? It's sure. just dipping your toes in, learning, and then you get your friends involved, they get their friends involved, and more people get involved and they start collecting things. And then they start becoming creators themselves, right? On a basic level, they start creating their own art, they start creating their own assets, and they start uh, exchanging with each other, right? Like, if you take it back to the to the old days when I was a kid, 
right? Uh, kids would take stuff to school and they would trade stuff at school, right? You would buy baseball cards or pogs or whatever it was at the time. And you would <laughs> yeah. trade it around lunchtime or you would go to the park or you would do meetups or you would go to the mall, to the card store to trade that stuff. Now you could do it 24 seven on a global marketplace with the whole world as your customer base, with the whole world as kind of your trading uh, counterparty. Um, so it's really expanding. Um, you know, for creators, I think, I think what matters is to see what's missing um, or something that's of interest to them. Cause ultimately, you know, uh, I think the, the beauty of, of creators is that they, they create what, what they love. And sometimes that's great. And other times, you know, they need to build a community. So I think getting involved, building a community, which is what's beautiful about this ecosystem in general is the communities that emerge around projects, um, creating a fan base, and creating things that people want. And sometimes there'll be trial and error and sometimes things will work and sometimes things don't. And I would just encourage everybody to be persistent because a lot of the projects that are now huge didn't start off huge, right? You're not gonna create an NFT uh, drop and imagine if it sell out in five minutes, some of those do and that's great. Others don't and they grow to be very big and, and in demand. So, uh, you know, patience, curiosity, perseverance, those things are a cliche, but they're true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. We already saw great use cases for blockchain like finance and gaming. Um, what industry or use case do you think has great growth potential in the next couple months? Or what are you most excited about in the next months or years? I think we see where, where DeFi has taken things and that's forced incumbent financial institutions to either adapt this, try and change. Some will, some won't. Um, that's cool. I think we've seen only the tip of the iceberg with NFTs though. You know, I think it's still super early. I think where NFTs end up going is not where they are now. And what I mean by that is not that the future use cases will overtake what it is now, but NFTs exist in a digital art form right now, right? Whereas they can have so many more um, applications, right? College degrees, um, certifications, driver's licenses, passports, uh, all these things um, that people will own. So as a form of digital identity, I think could be could be the future of NFTs. I think NFTs as kind of a, a certificate of, of authenticity. At, at its core, what an NFT is, is a certificate of authenticity, right? So it says that you own this token, which says that you own that asset that lives on IPFS or wherever else. Um, I think tying NFTs to physical goods is really going to take it to the future, right? Those pesky QR codes, you can scan it, see who owns it, see what wallet it belongs to. So imagine that you're a enterprise, right? Right now, what's big is identity, GDPR, the EU, protecting people's identity. Right now, when you buy something, they have your name, they have your address, they have your email, they have your sh- your, your credit card information, and probably they know what you had for breakfast uh, because you're using an iPhone, right? And it'll, t- it'll tell them where, where you were or what you spent money on. But think of, let's make up a company right now. Let's just say it's, I'm using this as an example. I'm not saying they're doing this, but they should do this sure. if they're not. Uh, Adidas with Yeezys, right? That's people love mm-hmm. like sneakers. I buy a $300 pair of sneakers. It's one of a thousand. Right, I get a little piece of paper that says certificate of authenticity, and the first thing I do is throw it in the trash. Um, but instead of that piece of paper, what if I had an app 
or a, or a wallet. So it's pseudo anonymous. It's not my name. It's not my address. It's a wallet that receives an, a corresponding NFT with that item that I buy. Right. So I on get uh, Yeezys in black, white laces, number 768 out of a thousand. I get an NFT that says that. Adidas knows me because they sent me that NFT. They can send me a token. They can send me whatever, airdrop me anything they want because that's their way of reaching me. But then once I sell it to you, Alex, the chain in, as it stands currently is broken. But if I sell you those Yeezys in a secondary market for a thousand or two thousand dollars or whatever crazy amount of money people are paying for sneakers, I give you that NFT. Well, now Adidas can airdrop you. They don't know you. They don't know your name is Alex. They don't know where you live. They have no. They have no personal identifying information about you except for a pseudonymous wallet. Well, now they can airdrop you a rewards token or airdrop you something or access or whatever it may be. And then that NFT could be access to an event. It could be. Uh, access to a new drop or a new sale or whatever it may be. So I think um, when I say tracking wallets, it has a negative connotation. And I don't mean it in a negative way because I think where this could go is a much better system than the current system exists with people's identities and personal information. So that's where uh, in the NFT space, I think we're going to go. I think the art's still going to continue to grow. I think you're going to start to see a new cohort of digital first artists um, existing artists become digital first or digital native, which is super cool. Um, of course, people displaying NFTs in their homes, uh, on screens that, are, that, that change, et cetera, et cetera. So that's all the given, but I think that's a huge thing for NFTs. And I think enterprises really adopting blockchain to make things faster, easier, cheaper, right? Um, something that I often ask companies that talk to us is why do you need a blockchain? Some people just want to use it just to use a blockchain to say they do because their shareholders expect them to innovate. Um, that's not going to make a difference. But I, but from what we see and what we're hearing, uh, what we're working on, there's a lot of real innovation happening that's exciting. And I think it's going to take a little bit longer than we anticipate in this industry because incumbents and enterprises just move slower. But gradually, I think things are start, will start to roll out and make our lives cheaper, faster, easier, better. Uh, more transparent, particularly in this world with, you know, so much uh, lack of trans transparency, I guess you could say, and, and obesity, that we can, we can really start to make changes. And then I think once those happen slowly, it all of a sudden starts to take over. Mm -hmm. So not going into any details there, but I just, I think, uh, I think we have a very bright future ahead. Yeah, no, that was a really good example. So actually, funnily enough, we had Diego Borgo on who worked with Adidas. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things that he said was the best way for brands to get into the space was to enter authentically. What does that mean to you? And how would you recommend brands do that? That's interesting. So I think the, the cornerstone of being authentic is to do something because it brings value. It engages your, your customers and your audience. It brings value. It makes it, the existing thing better, um, meaning somehow cheaper, faster, easier to get, um, more engaging. What, we, what authenticity is not is brands just saying, 
ooh, let's do an NFT drop because we can make a lot of money, right? That's the inauthenticity that we've seen from some players, right, who uh, represent celebrities or represent uh, brands that that see this as a quick payout, right? Do a quick 10,000 NFT drop, sell out, make X amount of money, and then cool. Good luck to you, right? Um, For brands, I think that's not authentic. So then there needs to be a story behind it. There needs to be a reason behind it. It needs to be communicated and there needs to be a community formed around that. Um, and whether a community forms or not, I think is the testament to whether it is authentic or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good way to sum it up. Um, good. Okay. Yeah. No, no cash. That's it. That's the advice. Don't do a cash grab. <laughs> No cash grabs. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Good. Um, so kind of switching into maybe a more somber tone really for a minute here. Um, how do you feel that current world events, including what's happening in Ukraine, as well as many other things, will affect NFTs in the next period of time? I think what currently is going on will continue. I don't think it's going to negatively impact as much. Um, it's unfortunate what's happening. Of course. It's, actually ter- it's terrible. Um, and what I hope out of this is that some positive use case can be used, right? To document uh, things, right? To memorialize events so that people don't forget so that uh, history is not written by the winners as often it is, but is actually a truthful account. And blockchains are great a great way to have an immutable record of what happened. Uh, I know there's great projects working right now at a couple universities in the U.S. where they're, they're, they're tracking uh, kind of issues like this and other kind of global issues um, by, by tracking f- photographs and, and proof and and things of that nature on chain so that nobody can ever change it, right? Once it's there, it's immutable. It's there forever. Um, no one can dispute that it happened. Um, my hope is that it could be used as a way to further build community rather than divide. Unfortunately, as we see, technology sometimes does, does both things really well. It, 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 it uh, speeds up division and it also speeds up uh, community and growth. Uh, I hope that the community side wins out, which I believe it does and always will. But there's there's hurdles along the way. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think there's a lot of positives that could be that can come out of this that can be utilized um, for the benefit of, of, of those that are going through a tough time right now. Uh, what that looks like, I don't really know yet. Hopefully, it, it happens. Um, but I know that everybody's kind of tuned into what's going on and, and is, is concerned and, and hopefully our, our community and, and every community out there can, can find a way to use this technology uh, for the betterment of, of everybody. Definitely. Good. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Um, so at the end here, uh, kind of what I've got to say is finished. So is there anything you feel like we've missed or anything that you feel like our listeners should know? Um, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll close on this, right? If, if you're um, an expert or someone who's been in this space for a long time, thank you for all that you're doing. And thank you 
uh, for what you've done. Please continue to build and continue to interact and, and reach out to us if there's anything uh, that's exciting that you'd love to develop or work on on Avalanche. We're, we're keen to support. Uh, we're always open to working with the best uh, builders and teams and being a resource to support, uh, to support all of you and whatever you do. Um, for those that, that are listening that haven't used Avalanche, I encourage you to do so. Uh, our DeFi ecosystem is huge. Our NFT ecosystem is growing and we have a lot of cool stuff coming. So uh, welcome. I think you'll find a receptive, welcoming and, and exciting community. Uh, and for those that are still dipping their toes into this space in general, uh, buy some NFTs. Trade some, buy some <laughs> tokens, have some fun, learn. Uh, this is the way things are going to eventually be uh, in the next couple of years. So uh, if you're new to this space, don't don't be scared. You're not late. You're still super early. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's all I've got. Great. <laughs> cool. Um, and then the very last question we ask everybody, who should we have on Venley Expert Talks next? Hmm. <laughs> Think about this one. <laughs> Seems to catch everybody off guard. <laughs> I would say the, the uh, I would say Harold Aton from the Particle okay. Foundation, from, um, the guys that did the Banksy on Avalanche. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they're rethinking the entire way um, that NFTs can be tied to fine art, real art, a future, and, and art collection and art ownership. Um, I think that's a, a great merge of, of, any, of the incumbent existing world in the future. So, yeah. Uh, get Harold on here. Great. Then, thank you so much for taking your time. I know you're busy, especially preparing to go to Barcelona. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> thanks for talking to me today. Thank you, Alex. Pleasure to be here.